How's it going, everyone? Tim French here, back once again for another exciting edition of the Job Hunter podcast. Get ready to buckle up, start your engines, and mirror signal maneuver as we explore the fascinating world of motorsport. I'll not say too much more for fear of giving the game away, so until then, sit back, relax, and let's start this intro tune. Welcome to the Job Hunter podcast. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Tim Sylvie, motorsport industry veteran and co-host of the Motormouth podcast to the show. Tim, thanks for coming on. Why don't we start off by hearing a bit more about your life, your background and your link to motorsport? Um, hi, thanks for having me on, Tim. Um, good name, by the way. Um, yeah, thanks. Um, I mean, my, my background is, um, is, is pretty, um, I guess, sort of unusual i suppose in, in the sense that i i didn't um do very well in education um so um i i went to college and then didn't do very well and then scraped through clearing into a really um not great university and dropped out before i got my degree so my my sort of start to life wasn't amazing and i was a terrible student and um left university with absolutely no idea what I was going to do at all. And at that point had no connection to motorsport either. So I was, you know, that, I guess I was a uh, 19 ish, something like that, 20. Um, and uh, yeah, left uni with absolutely no idea what to do. Um, the only thing I did know was that I wanted to earn money um, because I did a, a gap year, which I did manage to complete um, while I was at university when I went and worked in the States for a year. And that was where I realized that I was much better suited to work than I was education. Amazing. And and just want to say there's no such thing as a bad university anymore. So I'm sure ever ever university uh, you went to. I, was... I don't know. I won't, I won't drop the name, but uh, <laughs> I mean, basically I, I, I didn't, I, my grades were so poor that I, and I left things so late that I had no choice where I went. So I, I went through clearing. I was basically like this, this is the university you can go to. And um, the, the first day that I saw it was the first day of term. And um I was pretty shocked when I when I turned up. I mean, whether it's classified as a university, I don't even know. It's it's like a, a university college, and it's called something different to what it was called when I was there. But it, it wasn't great. Is, is that a bit, a bit of a regret then? Do you kind of think, oh, I wish I'd just not bothered with that year? Yeah, totally. Um, well, yeah. I mean, it's 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 a regret in the sense that um, education didn't agree with me. I didn't agree with education. Um, I don't particularly like the the system we have in the UK, um, and yeah, I, I, in hindsight, I probably wouldn't have gone to university. You know, I think if you're going into a certain professions, it's absolutely essential. You know, if you're going to be a lawyer or I don't know, some professional services, um, you're going on to the city and there's a specific, um, qualification you need, then I think it's amazing. And for certain people, it, it, it's great for me. It wasn't from personal, you know, my personal, um, uh, view on the world it was it wasn't for me but um it it wasn't a regret in the sense that it allowed me to do that year in america which made me sit up and go right okay i i know that i, I need to start getting out there and, and earning money and that was part of the reason I, I ended up leaving university a bit early because i thought this is this is what this is a waste of time i'm wasting time i could be out there earning money so what was your big start in motorsport and, and where's your journey kind of gone over the last so, decade and um, a half 
Well, I, I, I let after uni, um, I, I got myself onto a, a graduate recruitment scheme at a company called Michael Page, which is a big global recruitment um, company. Um, and I shouldn't really have got onto their graduate scheme because I wasn't a, technically a graduate, but I, I got onto it and and it was in sales, basically, you know, recruitment is essentially sales. And I did okay. I was there for about a year. I did quite well and kind of enjoyed it, but it, it was what, you know, again, I had no other choice. I didn't know what to do with my life. I was sort of, you know, fiddling around doing bits and bobs and thought, well, what can I do? I'll go and do recruitment. You don't, you know, they'll take, they'll, they'll take all sorts of people from all sorts of backgrounds and, I was I I learned I was decent at sales, um, but it wasn't I wasn't passionate about the job, and um, I played cricket with a guy um, called Jonathan Badansky, who um, had at the time a, a sports sponsorship agency called Badansky Sponsorship Limited, which later became BSL World, and then became um, BSL uh, sorry uh, yeah BSL World, and then they opened up an office in the Middle East BSL Middle East, um, and and then eventually it was sold to to another group, but. Um, he said to me, why don't you come and do a three month, um, internship or, you know, placement, um, you know, you love sports. We do formula one and other bits and pieces and give it a go. So I trotted off there. I left the recruitment job, um, did three months at, at BSL and stayed for six or seven years and, and left as a, a shareholder and director. Wow. That's, that's, that's an impressive rise up through the ranks and um so you said that um you worked essentially for an advertising company within motorsport um what sort of stuff were you managing day to day you know you mentioned formula one a bit what what kind of projects were you working on while you were there well it was um i mean it, it was technically a sponsorship agency it was it was it was a traditional sponsorship agency in sport but they they had a focus in formula one because they had a long-standing client in in toyota and Panasonic. And at the time, Panasonic was Toyota's um, title sponsor in Formula One. So I started out doing a few bits with them um, and that went quite well. And then in 2000, I started with them in 2005 and, and it was doing the, the Panasonic stuff and also um, some bits with Toyota and Lexus, who were Toyota and Lexus are the same brand, essentially. Um, uh, they, they did some sponsorship at the British Open. So I did some golf and various bits and pieces. And then in 2007, ING Bank um, came along and decided to sponsor the Renault Formula One team. And we we came into the process pretty early. And ING's global marketing uh, or chief marketing officer um, was a lady called Isabel Connor who's um, a powerhouse of a, a businesswoman and, and marketer and still is, but not, not with that company anymore. Um, and she was looking for an agency to help activate their sponsorship of, of Renault. And um, we won that contract. Um, so I was put into a position where I was heading up a small team um, that was looking after ING Bank's sponsorship of Renault and, and activating that partnership from for three years. And that's when I really started to get, get into the swing of sports marketing and, and especially Formula One um, sponsorship and marketing um, and spent three brilliant years with ING and Renault traveling around the world and, and having a brilliant time um, activating their their partnership. Um, and that's where the whole most sport thing started to become interesting to me um, from a sporting perspective, but much more so from a commercial perspective. And is that a lot of, uh, you know, making connections and, um, and, and, you know, talking to people and essentially being face-to-face -face, um, or, or I yeah. imagine it's not much sitting behind a desk, is it? 
Well, a bit of both. I mean, there, there was a lot of traveling. Um, I can't remember how many races there were at the time in the season, but maybe like 19, 20, something like that, as opposed to the 23 that we have this year. Um, and I went to pretty much every race for for um, those sort of three years with ING, but actually the, the sort of six years I was with with the company, I, I went to pretty much every race every year. And um, it was a combination of things. It was taking assets that the team had that the team gave to ing whether it was image rights or time with the drivers or whatever and creating experiences or creating marketing campaigns or um or being trackside with a group of ing executives and their prospects or clients and and entertaining them face to face like you say in in the paddock club or you know giving them tours around the paddock and tours around the city that that the f1 was was in and doing all that traditional hospitality, which was very much for ING anyway, was a big focus at the time. They had they had a big splash with branding. Like if you Google ING Renault, the, the car is covered in ING. I remember um, that car. Yeah, it's a uh... horrible looking car. It's, <laughs> it's, it's orange, white, blue mess. And our uniform is disgusting. White, white trousers with a green um, shirt. You couldn't miss us. But their, their whole plan, Isabel Connor just wanted to go in year one, make a massive splash, year two, consolidate, year three, exit. And that's and that's what she did. And, and the awareness of the brand went through the roof because of Formula One. But there was a lot of entertaining um, trackside. Um, so it, it was a great um, case study for ING, but it was back in the days when it was all about logo placement and corporate hospitality. That's pretty much all they wanted to do. Do you think that's kind of changed in the in the the twenty twenty era? And obviously, I will briefly say the the coronavirus word. Um, but I'm guessing you you can't do a lot of that anymore. And um, the way it is now is probably quite different, isn't it? It's definitely changed. The whole sponsorship out um, landscape has changed immeasurably since those days. So that was pre um, crash. So uh, and I don't mean car crash. I mean. <laughs> economic financial crash, <laughs> financial crash where it was before that it was very different like we stayed in lovely hotels we we stayed we did we went to amazing parties it was a fun job like it was a gen we just had a nice time and uh corporate hospitality great bit of logo you know it was all very jolly and after the crash things seemed to change budgets got stripped back it became much more strategic because you had to be more direct and, and accurate with your funds um, and um, it became much more, sponsorship seemed to me to become much more focused and, uh, around activation, storytelling, proper marketing, rather than just a logo on a car and some corporate hospitality. Um, it's evolved so much since then. And then, as you say, when, as we go through coronavirus, um, it, it, well, when it first happened at the Australian Grand Prix, um, when Formula One decided to cancel the race and everyone got sent home, we all immediately panicked. Everyone in the industry was like, what are we going to do now? And it, all the live events and live activations um, were stopped and we all had to adjust and do everything virtually. And I mean, everything. And, and you had to find a way to create digital experiences, um, whether it's hospitality or an activation um, or, you know, a webinar or player appearance or whatever it might be, all went online. Um, so it's changed completely, but it's now stabilized and brands are suddenly more comfortable. You know, that knee jerk reaction is gone and everyone's getting into the swing of doing sponsorship activation in this digital world. So would you say you've kind of always known you wanted to be involved in most sport in some capacity or like by the sounds of it, it's, you kind of stumbled into it a bit? But. Yeah, stumbled into it, but and I think it, it wouldn't have mattered necessarily. I, I think motorsport is a bit of a byproduct. Um, 
you know, I, I stumbled into motorsport, but it could have been football or rugby or anything. Sports in really. some capacity then. You, sports in you... some capacity and on the commercial side of it. That that commercial sports business side, sponsorship marketing, um, commercialization, sales, I love all of that. And, and it, to me, it wouldn't really matter if it was Formula One or something else. Um, and... Um, yeah, it, 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 I've become a big fan by default, um, and and I know a lot about motorsport now, but only because I've sort of settled into it, and and that happens to be my thing these days. Um, but like, but yeah, it, it, back in the back then, I could have fallen into any sport and, and sort of run with it. And do you think that's kind of a good life lesson for for any of our listeners potentially that you, you don't have to have a set plan in essence. You can freestyle yeah. it a bit and bend bend with the wind. Yeah, I mean, I, I it's it's all individual, isn't it? You know, for I, I've always been a bit fly by the seat of your pants kind of person. Um, I, I, I I plan a lot, but I I am a bit more. Um, I don't mind risk. I, I, I don't mind diving in head first and just seeing what happens. Um, but I really admire those who have more of a plan. Um, and I wish I had, to be honest, because well, when I was twenty years old, I wish I'd known exactly what I wanted to do. Um, and the example I always give is, is, um, the, on the podcast, which we'll probably talk about later. Um, my podcast host, um, co-host Harry, who's 23, um, is he, he's for, since he was probably 19 has been crystal clear on his career and his path. And it's, you know, media broadcasting motorsport and that's it, you know, and he's been totally single-minded with that. And, and because of that, he's worked in Formula E, he's worked in Formula One, he's interviewed some of the biggest names in motorsport. He, um, he's, he's put himself in great positions. He's spent time with Formula One um, in their, behind the scenes and he's 23 years old. And, he, you know, at 23 years old, he's he, like today, we sat down with Nico Rosberg Harry didn't bat an eyelid. You know, 23, if I'd sat down with Nico Rosberg, I'd have completely crumbled. You know, so I really admire those people who have that plan. Um, but like I say, everyone's an individual and everyone has a different way of making their way through life and navigating through their younger years. And for me, it was fly by the seat of your pants, say yes to every opportunity, work really hard and hope for the best. And it's and it's worked out okay. I don't think that's a bad bad way to go at all, to be honest. And uh, we definitely will get on to the podcast later because I've some questions about about that. And obviously, you know, I'm in awe of someone that's even got to interview a Formula One world champion. So, yeah, congratulations on that. Um, would you say that being from the UK or, you know, any of our listeners that are from the UK are in a very good position, I would assume, for working in motorsport? What, what kind of roles are they? Obviously, you talked about the commercial aspects, but... You know, if, if you were to think, how exactly do you get a job in motorsport in the UK? What's what what can the average Joe on the street do to to be more involved in motorsport? I mean, if you've got a passion for it and you want to be in motorsport, then I'm sure you can find your your niche. Um, that we are lucky because we have so many of the Formula One teams based here. Um, but not only that, you know, you've got um, several Formula E teams, you have British touring cars and, you know, the list goes on. Um, but equally, you know, in other countries, there's, there's plenty as well. Um, you know, there are, there are Formula uh, One teams dotted around the world. There's um, amazing race series in, in all sorts of countries, you know, in the States, they've got IndyCar and NASCAR, which do sponsorship arguably a lot better than we do in Formula One. Um, 
And, um, you know, there are opportunities out there. And I, I think it's just a case of persistence and single mindedness and knowing a, a bit, um, contrary to what I said, knowing a bit about what you want to do. Um, and, um, you know, whether it's engineering or, you know, aerodynamics or, or marketing and commercial and PR, you know, that there are so many different um, roles available in motorsport. Um, if you have that passion and you've got something that you can offer the industry, then there's no reason why you, you can't um, make your way in there and, and be a success. You mentioned we've already talked about kind of your time at the start of your career. What, what happened after that when you finished with um, IAG? Um, so, um, I did, um, the, the ING Renault stuff continued until 2009 and then that ended pretty abruptly when, um, Nelson PK Jr. um, crashed in a straight line, um, in Singapore and, and that sort of PR and media storm, which followed, um, the, the ING relationship ended pretty sharply after that. Um, and that was 2009. Then I went out that summer to, um, the Middle East. I went and lit, I moved to Abu Dhabi and, um, I was one of the first, um, the original team members at, at Yas Marina circuit, which is the, the F1 track, um, on Yas Island in Abu Dhabi or just outside Abu Dhabi. And, um, I was living on the Island. It, there was no racetrack there. It was just a, a sand pit. Um, it was all a real culture shock and a shock to the system um, and learned a lot extremely quickly. And I stayed there until 2012 and, and delivered um, several Grand Prix um, and and worked at that race until about 2016, 17, something like that um, in one capacity or another. Um, so I was in the Middle East for a few years up until about 2012, opened an office out there for the company I was working for. Oh, consulting through and um, had a great time, um, but always had this niggling feeling that I wanted to do something myself. Um, and so in 2012, um, my um, my thought was, I can, I mean, I was comfortable, you know, I was living in the Middle East, tax free, life was pretty good. I had a nice apartment on the um, uh, Dubai uh, waterfront at Jamira Beach residence. Everything was pretty sweet. I had no reason to change, but I, there was something niggling away at me. So I handed in my notice, flew back to the UK and started a company called Sylvie Sports, um, which uh, still exists today, but it's just essentially a vehicle for me to consult through. And, um, and we've done, we, I've done all sorts of stuff through that, um, whether it be you know, the London Olympics when we did a huge program and we ended up employing about 50 contractors to run a, a bunch of transportation programs for different sports marketing agencies across London and the Games, um, which is a six-month contract through to Winter Olympics in Sochi and then loads of consultancy bits and bobs in Formula One and taking big groups to Grand Prix and, you know, all sorts of stuff has, has um, been pushed through Sylvie Sports. So that, that's been really good fun. Um, so that, that took me up till about 2000 and, uh, 2014-ish, something like that. And then I fell into another thing, which was racing driver management through Sylvie Sports. So I started managing racing drivers um, and had a roster of five or six some quite high profile that raced in F1 and um, down to sort of more junior categories. Um, and Jamie Chadwick, who's doing really well, is a female racing driver um, and a Le Mans driver, F1, British touring cars, world touring cars, um, stuff like that. I did that for about five, six years, again, through Sylvie Sports before, um, 
before finding um, a couple of opportunities, one being Motormouth and the other one being some consultancy through a company called Right Formula, who are a sports marketing consultancy in Vauxhall. And, uh, and I've been with them on a consultancy basis for nearly three years, I think now. That is a very impressive CV, if I, if I must say. I, I feel like you've there's probably nothing you haven't done in the sporting world. And uh, was there any point you kind of went, oh, God, I'm not sure I can do this? Because they seem like there's oh, some yeah. pretty big projects. Yeah. I mean, the first one was the Abu Dhabi trip. You know, it was one of those where they were like, do you want to go? It's, it was um, to be part of the venue management team. I was like, yeah, why not? Give it a go. And I remember turning up on my first day and thinking I'm out of my depth here. And Richard Cregan, who was the CEO of the, the track, my first day was like, what's your plan? You know, we've, we've got a sort of, we've got a Grand Prix in a few months. What's, what's your plan for this bit and that bit? And I didn't have answers. I was like, I, I don't know. This is like, this is big boy stuff. I'm, I am not ready for this. So that was terrifying. Um, but you find your feet quickly in those situations and, and Richard and I have become friends now and, you know, it's, it's fine. Um, but at the time it was horrible. And uh, the first six months were the worst six months of my life. Like literally it was, it was grueling. Um, so that that was terrifying. Um, starting Sylvie Sports was terrifying. Um, you know, there's so much to learn um, as you navigate your way through life and, you know, finding yourself and learning about yourself and feeling comfortable in your own skin in a work capacity. Um, so I've had loads of, loads of dodgy moments, um, but, um, you know, you learn from those. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's part of it. It's part of the, part of the process. And, do you have any particular highlights kind of over the course of your career, you know, specifically um, in, in motorsport? Is there anything that stand out to you? Um, I, I mean, there, there, uh, uh, getting the London Olympics gig was, was a big deal because I literally just started the Sylvie sports and, and, you know, we, we very quickly got the London Olympics, um, thing and, and, you know, very, very quickly had 50 staff that we suddenly had to look after and not really knowing what we were doing, you know, just sort of running with it. Um, and that, that was really, that was really nice. You know, it's really hard work. Everyone worked their socks off. Um, but you know, we'd meet up in London every couple of weeks and have a few drinks and it was just nice to sit there and, you know, be at the top of the table thinking all these people are here because of me, all these people are earning money because of me, you know, we've got them spread across London doing all sorts of stuff for the Olympics. And that was a really nice feeling. Um, and, um, and then I guess, um, you know, finding a passion in, in Motormouth was, was a great moment because I was thinking about that company for a while before it started. Um, so that, that was a proud moment, but there's been many, you know, and, and working with people like Robin at, at Right Formula, um, who's becoming very quickly an, an industry leader, um, you know, sort of the, the, in, in the mold of Zach Brown, I suppose. Um, Robin's, you know, incredibly well-connected, um, a top, top marketer in motorsport. And, you know, working with him is a highlight. It's, it's, it, there, are, there are so many. I'm, I'm very grateful for, for my career and, and life. You know, I, th- I think I've been, I've had lots of downs that, you know, would break some people. Like we've had some really rough times, but we've kept going and, and the ups have been um, far more. And, and um, yeah, I feel, I feel very lucky. I think that's a quite an important point, actually, as well, that it's not always roses, is it? I think, you know, we could, I, I'm sure I've had guests on in the past and, and will in the future that want to paint this absolutely amazing picture of their life. But you kind of learn more, don't you, from those moments of difficulty and failure, don't you? 
hundred percent. And I, you know, I've had uh, the, the worst times probably, um, you know, after starting your own business or my, our own business, um, and, and my wife has her own businesses as well. We, um, we had one calamitous year where we lost everything, you know, for, for lots of different reasons, everything just vanished and we had to move out we had to rent our house out for six months uh, or nine months. You know, we were like, we haven't got any money. We've got none, you know, we've barely got enough to buy a tin of baked beans. Um, but opportunities started presenting themselves again and we've, we've worked our way up and, and come through it and, um, and touch wood as of today, everything is, is tickety boo. Yeah. I, I mean, I, like I said, I'm, I'm very much in awe of, of what you've achieved. I think being at the very start of my career, it gives me hope that, um, that things can be different. And obviously you, you don't have to, I don't have to be so concerned or worried about where the path's going to go and just kind of let, let it fly a bit. But, um, how would you say that your, your job and the kind of the world of sport you've been in has, has changed, um, over the last 15 years that you've been involved with it? Um, it's, it's like I said, it's, it's certainly more, um, strategic and, um, it's, you have to be an expert in it more now I feel. And I don't know whether that's just because of, of my age and, and navigating through the business, you know, perhaps at the start, maybe it was still like that. I was just so wet behind the ears, um, that I, I didn't realize, but, um, you know, I, I think the last five years, especially I've started to feel like, um, I feel very different now, even, even the last, you know, four or five years, I feel very different to how I did previous. Um, and my mid to late thirties have, have made me feel a lot more comfortable and confident in the industry, in, in my place in the industry, um, and knowledge wise, everything. You know, I feel like I've, it's taken a long time to feel totally at ease with what I'm doing and, and really love it. Like I love what I do now, like absolutely love it. Um, and I love that the industry has moved and come along and, and is now um, full of amazing individuals um, who, who are fantastic at their jobs and are, and are real professionals, you know, not just winging it. It's, um, it's sponsorship has come a long way. And so do you have any specific aspirations for, for the, the next part of your career? I imagine sky's the limit with the, the work you're doing. I mean, it's, uh, I, I love what I'm doing with, with right formula. Um, I really enjoy working there and, um, we're doing lots of, well, Robin and, and, and the, the, um, the executive team there are doing some really exciting things. Um, and I want to keep doing that for as long as I can. Um, and then separate to that, you know, motor mouth is, is my real focus and passion at the moment. Um, and, and that's what's really getting me out of bed in the morning. And, and that's the thing that I'm really trying to uh, spend considerable time on and, and, and build into something much bigger than, than just me. So you might as well address the uh, podcast-shaped elephant in the room. Um, for those that might not have heard Motormouth, what exactly is it um, and, and why should they listen? Well, it's uh, it, it's, it is a podcast. It's, it's also other things. So uh, we have an app. Um, which you can get on Android and Apple, um, and it's called Motormouth. It's uh, also a website, and it, it serves up news, views, um, video, um, exclusive content that we we make and create in house. Um, and uh, it has uh, a podcast, which was an afterthought. To be honest, it, the, the original plan was to um, 
create this community. So the app and the website is somewhere where you can go, you sign up, you create a profile, you um, you can engage with other users, um, you can create your own content, upload your own imagery. Um, there's lots of user-generated stuff on there, but you can also follow live up to the minute news and comment on it. We've got live race timings um, across various um, championships and um, there's, there's loads of stuff on there and, and it's it's pretty live news. It's updated almost every minute. Um, so, um, that's really exciting and that's growing. And then we built the podcast to, as a marketing tool, we just wanted to drive more traffic to the app. So, um, we started it with that in mind. Um, but it's become much more than that. And, um, it's now, uh, much, much bigger than we ever anticipated. Um, and we've had some incredible guests on, we've, um, we've monetized it. Um, we've got sponsors and advertisers, We've got big partnerships with charities and we've got events that have sprung off the back of it. We're doing a, a karting event when COVID's out of the way, celebrity karting event, um, which um, has gone down brilliantly. Lots of people have registered their interest for that. And it'll be Joe Public racing against XF1 drivers and loads of cool cars on display like James Hunt's old Hesketh 308 Mark 1 car and We've got um, a sim racing championship coming up in the next few weeks um, in Rallycross um, with some celebrity drivers in that. And um, it's, it's, it's sort of turning into this kind of media um, publisher stroke uh, media um, hub for motorsport um, and the podcast. You can call it an empire. It's fine. You're going to be no, the it's next. Certainly not an empire yet, but it's, <laughs> it's, uh, we've got a long way to go. But it, and there's, there's myself, there's a guy called Frank, who's our CTO. We've got a guy called Harry, who's head of media and host of the podcast as well. Um, and a few other people floating around in finance and various other areas. So it's, it's slowly, slowly building up. Um, and it's, uh, that's what's got me excited, I think. Yeah, I, I mean... I'm a listener. I they're really good episodes. I really enjoyed them. Um, I've yeah, like I said to you before we came on air, I've listened to the Jay Humphrey episode. Um, I listened to Esme Hawkey's episode as well. Um, obviously, she's the girlfriend of Jordan Pepper, former Bentley driver. So I'm a big fan I, of that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I can't recommend it enough. I know this is a reverse shameless plug. I'm actually plugging your podcast, but You're going. <laughs> um, <Great. laughs> but yeah, it's if you if you enjoy motorsport um, from any formula, any world, it's definitely for you. There's so many interesting people. And obviously you've mentioned Nico Rosberg. What was that like? Obviously, I'm sure you've interviewed a lot of formula, uh, former world champions and, and interesting people, but was, was that quite a, a big thing for you? It was actually, it was, uh, it was the first one that really made me think because um, we've been super lucky uh, we, we almost from episode one, we've had quite big people on and um, we have had former F1 world champions. We had Mario Andretti recently, um, who's a Formula One world champion and an IndyCar champion several times. Um, we've had former F1 drivers like Mark Webber, uh, David Coulthard. Um, we've had IndyCar drivers, loads of Formula E people um, and pundits like Crofty and um, Eddie Jordan and stuff like that. Um, so we were, we were kind of getting, well, we were, we were used to talking to, to important people in motorsport, um, and kind of don't take it for granted, but you know, we feel comfortable doing it. But today we interviewed Nico today and his, his episode will come out in, I think a few weeks, I think probably to launch season seven, but, um, it was the first one that I thought, God, you know, this guy is um, not only is he a Formula One world champion who retired five days after he won the world championship, he's beaten to the world championship title, potentially the greatest Formula One driver that's ever 
sat in a car in Lewis Hamilton. Um, he has gone on to um, start his own Extreme E team. He's a businessman, entrepreneur, green tech um, entrepreneur, sustainability, climate change. Um, he's a hugely successful person and known worldwide in several fields. And it, it made me go, Christ, like that's a, that's a big deal. Like he's coming on our show. That's nuts. And, uh, and you could feel it, you know, he, he felt like an important guy to talk to. And it was kind of weird, you know, when you look at it like this, you know, you've got your zoom screen and there's Harry and there's a couple of PR people. And then there's Nico Rosberg and it's, oh, all right, Nico, <laughs> how's it going? So it was weird. Um, but he, he was very nice and we had a really good chat for 45 minutes or an hour or something. And, uh, talks about all sorts. Um, so yeah, it, it, it was an experience. Certainly it was a, one of those pinch me moments, I think. And you now realize what I'm experiencing, Tim, because I imagine, um, the first couple of guests you have on are kind of like your mates, aren't they? They're people, you know, within the industry and, and now you've had a, a big name and I feel, feel likewise with, uh, with yourself. Cause I've, I feel, um, most of my pr- previous guests have been people that I know. <laughs> so yeah, you kind of, a big big name podcaster and this is a big deal for me so so yeah once again thanks for thanks for coming on um what would you say are the difficult questions that you ask your guests what's a good question um to ask someone well i mean we we're pretty nice to them to be honest we 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 sort of pride ourselves on um pulling out um the personality of the individual because we're not hard hitting like <clears throat> Whenever we approach a new guest, we never say we we often say um, you know we're not journalists, we're not media, we're not trying to catch you out. Um, we just want to understand what you're all about. Um, you know, not just in motorsport, but off track. You know, and what what you do. You know, what tell us about you. So we don't really hit them with any hard hitting questions or difficult ones. Most of the time, we tried a little bit with Nico today because it felt like too good an opportunity. But um, but yeah, it's, it, we ask. We have a fairly set format, you know, a nice introduction, some pre-prepared questions, some off-script stuff. And then we have three questions that we always ask at the end of the show. And, and one of them is, what are you scared of? And that, that's always quite a fun question because some people like Freddie Hunt, James Hunt's son, who James Hunt, for those that don't know, from, uh, I think it was a 1976 Formula One world champion with McLaren sadly went and went finished his career and then and then died but was one of the great characters of the sport we had his son freddie on who's also a racing driver who looks exactly like james and when we said to him what are you scared of he couldn't answer because he got choked so you know there was something there that was sort of burning um other people have said really random stuff like uh, crofty said he was scared of tea bags um that was weird and, and we've had a few weird ones like sebastian boemi i think it was was scared of killer whales or something weird, really weird like that um and then we've had a, other people who are scared of you know failure and they'll talk about their fear of you know failing and all that sort of stuff so um they, we've had so many interesting in, interesting people and and um they all react in very very different ways no no guest is the same so it's it's been a it's been a fascinating journey it's sort of thing you you know feel like you turn into a book one day you know with all, all the insights that these people have given like nico who's a fascinating guy you know who throughout his career you thought it was this kind of really tough hard uh, exterior serious guy and and like you said to us today he was full of self-doubt and and just didn't portray that and had to have you know he had a, a mind coach psychologist to help him out with all of that um, but we never knew that at the time we just saw this hard exterior 
So everyone's got a story um, and, and we sort of pride ourselves on trying to pull out that story and, and see a new side to the individual. Yeah, and I think you do an excellent job. Um, I've I listened to the Mark Webber episode as well. And I, f- I found that um, fascinating. So, yeah, that last plug for Mouth, uh, Motor Mouth Podcast. It's fantastic if you've not heard it. So definitely check it out. Um, you've mentioned Formula E and you've mentioned um, Extreme E and all these E-based formulas. Um, do you think that's the future of motorsport? I think that's where we're heading. Um, I mean, it is certainly the future of, of most motorsports. So um, Formula E, which has been around since 2014, 15, I think, something like that. Um, we're into its seventh season this year. Um, and they've done incredibly well. The big manufacturers have come and gone and more come back. And it's it's that is sustainable racing to a degree. I mean, you still have to fly to races, you know, churn out airplane fumes to get there. But once they're there, they're, they're trying to do good things. And some of the teams... I think one of the teams is carbon neutral EVR. Um, and there's a lot of climate change awareness going on in the sport. Um, so that's great. And then Extreme even more so, which is this new SUV, uh, all electric SUV um, racing in hard to reach countries like Senegal or, or um, parts of the countries like Senegal or even parts of Saudi and um, a few other interesting countries where they try and go race but also try and do some good in that country, raise awareness for that country, do some nice things around sustainability and climate change there. And, and actually Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton and now Jensen Button all have their own teams in that series. Um, uh, so they have a sustainable ship that they have a floating paddock that goes from race to race. You know, So they're really trying to raise awareness and, that, and that's brilliant. So the future is certainly electric in that regard. But then you have Formula One, which is still not, ele- not fully electric um, and they will never be fully electric. Um, for lots of reasons, they, they don't have the, the right to be for electric in the sense that Formula E have the exclusive rights to single-seater electric race cars. So Formula One can't go down that road. They can go synthetic and all that sort of stuff. But for me, and I think for lots of other people, Formula One will is and will continue to be the pinnacle of motor racing um, for the foreseeable future. And obviously, one thing to, to mention with the Extreme is obviously it's it's both men and women in, in the team, isn't it? Which is probably, uh, you know, the first of its kind in that sense. Um, what what do you think Formula One can do to break that kind of glass ceiling when it comes to a full-time female driver um, within a team? Yeah, I think um, they can do bits and bobs. You know, they they Formula One is trying to be more inclusive. I mean, there, there is a problem in that there's not just racing drivers, but up and down the paddock with the teams, there's not enough women Um and there are some women engineers out there and there are some women marketing, uh, women in marketing functions and other, other areas, but there, ne- there needs to be much more. Um, I think Formula One's very conscious and aware of that, as are the teams, and they're all trying to adapt and change. But one, one thing you do have now, which we didn't have a few years ago, even um, three or four years ago, is the W Series, um, which David Coulthard's involved with and Catherine Bonmure, who we've had on the show, um, is the founder of that. And that series was created really to create more opportunity for females in motorsport, um, purely by putting more more females in in seats. Um, it's an all all female grid. You, you, that is the only prerequisite. You have to be a female, and um, it's been hugely successful. And I went to the Brands Hatch round, and it was amazing to see these five year old girls in racing overalls looking up to these people like Jamie Chadwick and. Um, Emma Kimmelinen, who we've got coming up in a couple of weeks, and um, Alice Powell, and seeing these kids look at their these 
female racing idols. And that's what I think is going to hopefully get the momentum going in female motorsport. And they get super license points in that championship, which means that you can take those forward into something like Formula One. But it just gives more women the opportunity to get in a race car, try and be competitive, and then move on to other series where they can race against boys. And then hopefully at some point um, be picked up by an F1 team, like again, like Jamie Chadwick has with Williams. Um, and and maybe in five or so years, maybe maybe longer, we'll we'll start to see some um, some some women coming through into Formula One. Do you think sponsors have a, a kind of obligation to to help out more with that kind of side of things in the W Series? Because obviously, big name sponsors have a quite a large amount of clout, and they could help progress the sport in that sense. Yeah, I think um, I think everyone has a responsibility to try and make motorsport more diverse. Um, because it is still a problem, you know, not, not just females, but, um, um, you know, ethnic minorities, um, you know, you look up and down the grid in F1 and it's pretty obvious, um, who most of them are, um, you know, either very, very wealthy white middle-class guys or, or quite rightly, you know, people that are there on merit. Um, it just so happens that the best one of them has, has come from a, a minority background. Um, so and, 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 you know, Lewis has been very vocal about, you know, Black Lives Matter and, and that movement. So there's a lot that needs to change, but it is happening. Um, but then there's other forms of racing where it's not happening. And places like NASCAR are still very often in the dark ages when it comes to that. Um, we had Willie T. Ribs on who told us about that and the the racial abuse he suffered and that he still sees today. So the, I think there's still a long way to go, but everyone's very aware of it now, which is is good and people are thinking much more deeply about it thanks to things like Black Lives Matter. Obviously, you've you've mentioned um, the kind of global push push to be more sustainable and and be more aware of, of climate change within the industry. Do you think most sports still has a place, um, given a lot of young people are less interested in cars in general and obviously more environmentally conscious anyway? Could this be something that isn't here in 10, 15, 20 years time and it's replaced with something else um, or do you think um, it is here to stay? I think it's still here to stay. I mean, I, the, the, there is still a huge amount of interest around motorsport. Um, Formula One still ha- holds a fascination for people. Um, Formula E is helping and Extreme E is helping to bring that new generation of fans through. But even Formula One is is much more engaging to young people now. You know, that some of the drivers that you have in it, like Lando Norris and, and Charles Leclerc and, um, you know, some of the other uh, younger guys who, you know, are very active on Twitch and um, stream a lot of their, um, their their online gaming, not just in motorsport, but, you know, League of Legends and other, other types of um, esports. Um, so... There, there is an engaging element to the characters that are in Formula One now. There's tons of sim racing out there, prim- primarily because of coronavirus. You know, um, companies like The Race, um, Veloce, um, Formula One itself, and now Formula E as well have their own championships um, online. So I think they're they're doing a pretty good job now of engaging young people and, and know the value in that. So I think as long as they continue in that direction, I think that the, the future of most sports is, is pretty safe. So if you had to pick your favourite Formula One era, what would it be? You know, if we could say turbo hybrid or V10s screen around the track or, you know, ground effect cars, what what what, what for you is your favourite era? And, you know, what was, and, you know, why would that be? I mean... I don't know. I think part of me thinks um, the old 
days of um, you know the Mansell against Prost and Senna and the moustache, the, the tash, and you know Williams against McLaren in those iconic liveried cars, um, and the noise that they made. Um, even the V6 cars back in the day stand, sounded really cool. Um, the, the V8s, I love the V10s, I love, but and if you'd asked me that question a year ago or, or maybe two, two years ago, I'd probably say I miss the, the V10, V8 kind of era. But equally now that we look back with rose tinted glasses, like if you actually go back and watch a lot of the races outside of the classics, um, you'd have Mansell or Prost or whoever winning by two minutes, you know, and, and there was no one near them. Now you look at races like, you know, Bahrain with, Lewis and Nico racing wheel to wheel and, um, you know, incredible close racing. It's way closer now than it, than it ever was. And perhaps that we're in the, in the golden era now, um, it's just cause it's current and we're in it. It doesn't feel like that. And you look back and think, oh, those days with Prost and Berger and, you know, iconic names, iconic cars and nice old tracks. None of this old, this new fandangled, uh, you know, Abu Dhabi tracks and stuff like that. But, I think we're in a pretty good good place right now, and and um, ground effect that you mentioned is is coming back. Um, so that'll be interesting to see what that does to the racing. So uh, I I kind of like the modern era. I I like it. Um, you know, if I if I if I'm watching YouTube of an evening and pick races, it tends to be the more modern races. And um, I, I'm one of those. I live in the moment. You know, I I uh, I'm a shallow individual, and I'll I'll, I'll just stay. Uh, you know, stay in the current. Um, I, I think I'll, I'll, I'll take modern F1 to be honest. Um, oh, yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I absolutely love Netflix's drive to survive. Ah, it's, so good. it's incredible. You know, watching that, um, the German F1 episode where it all fell apart for Mercedes and, yeah. and knowing that that was the one episode that Netflix was filming with them. And it just all yeah. fell apart. was amazing. So, you know, and how many times can you say you've lived in the era of, of a potentially HI world champion? Cause no oh. doubt he'll do it again. Um, I know. And, and that's when you think, you know, we're lucky to be living through this. We're, we're lucky in a number of ways. A, we have a, um, uh, a Formula One channel dedicated to Formula One that you can watch as much Formula One as your heart's desire. Um, so, you know, you've got, you've got easy access to it. It's all over the internet. Um, YouTube, it's, it's all there for you to watch and consume. You can get the historical stuff if you want to, but like you say, you know, we've got Lewis Hamilton, who's, who is, fast becoming the best racing driver that's ever lived some people think he already is you know and you've got people like max verstappen you know causing chaos um you've got the battles that nico and lewis had you know there's so much good so lando and Charles, all these amazing young talents um there's just so much good stuff happening up and down the grid and with aston martin coming back you know wow that's so cool so there's a lot of good stuff going on at the moment i'm thoroughly enjoying formula one as it is Right, so change in direction. Um, at this point in the show, I usually do my Tim's Three Tips segment, which is still the worst name in the world, and I haven't changed it, and I probably won't now, out of um, the bitterness of, of my heart. Um, but seeing as you're a fellow Tim, I feel like I can't do this because it's just going to be a bit confusing. Um, so I think instead, I will leave it up to you to decide how many tips you want to do and what you want them to be on, because usually it's like 
an everyday problem that our listeners can can deal with. You know, last week it was how to get out of quicksand or you know how to win an argument. But I feel like you've you, you you've got this. I feel confident in your ability to do this as a podcast host. So I'll, I'll let you fly on this one. I'm interested how you get out of po- how you get out of quicksand. I guess you just like do you, know, you lie on your back or something and drag drag yourself out. Is, is I had a guy who was very much salt of the earth and just went, you sit down and you don't move and you wait for someone to turn up with a tractor. And that was pretty much it. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that, I don't know where I got that when. It was probably one of my kids' programs where someone got trapped in quicksand. Dora the Explorer. Yeah, they lay on their backs or something. Anyway, I digress. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, I, I have... Um, I, I wheel out this um, if I'm on a webinar or, or a podcast or whatever. Um, and... Um, I think it's I think it's relevant um, in the, this type of type of scenario where it's you know it's about jobs or careers or anything like that. I think I hopefully it will help. I, I I have a sort of eight um, I have eight quick things that I've stood by or I've learned over the years that have helped me, and um, I wheeled this out with a, 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 a webinar I did with Jenny Gao. Um, and it seemed to resonate with um, some young people who who messaged me on LinkedIn and stuff. So. I've sort of stuck with it. So um, it, I'll just go for it, shall I? Should I just rattle through them? Um, so uh, first, have a passion for it, which is is obvious. Um, I think um, if you if you have a passion for something and you know what you want to do, you can make it a reality. You know, um, my passion became um, uh, motorsports and the commercial side of motorsport, and the business of motorsport. And I I, I saw a, a an area where I thought I could add value in, in digital, um, and I created Motormouth against the the, the um, against the advice of many people. Um, and there were many critics, and it's going all right. So I think uh, have a passion. Um, and, and, you know, don't take no for an answer, just go for it. Um, work harder than everyone else. And, and, um, I've always, it's always been built in me to work hard and Harry is the same. Um, he, he works incredibly hard. We both do, um, most days I work quite late and I'm not saying that's the right way to do it. It's just the way that it goes for me at the moment. Cause I've got a lot on, but, um, I, I tend to try and work harder than anybody else. And I mean, not necessarily longer hours, but more efficiently. Um, so, you know, work with accuracy, be efficient with your time, don't faff, um, and, um, and have empathy with, with that work. Um, not everyone is, is like you, not everyone works like you. So have empathy. Um, and I know that now, particularly having currently working with a lot of young people, um, you have to have empathy and put yourself in their shoes because it's, you know, everyone has a different way of, of looking at the world. Um, show enthusiasm, um, I, I can't stand uh, when people don't, you know, give it their all or show enthusiasm. Um, I, I have next to no qualifications, but I've always been enthusiastic and that, and that seems to have, have helped. It really does. You know, soft skills like that get you a long way. Um, be daring. And I'm always telling people this. Um, sorry for the, the buzzes. Um, I'm always telling people this, um, even at work now, you know, let your voice be heard. You know, if, if you're in a meeting with a client or an internal meeting, whatever, you know, don't sit back and wait and, and be worried about what you're going to say. Because I remember thinking when I was growing up uh, through, through my career, um, I, I would often sit in on meetings and think something in my head and be too scared to say it. And then two seconds later, a 40 year old guy would say exactly what I was thinking. And everyone would go, God, great idea. And, the amount of times I've sat in that exact scenario and thought, come on, just say it. 
And after a while, it's like, screw it. I'm just going to start saying stuff. And sometimes I'm right. And sometimes I'm completely off the mark. But who cares? You know, you're not going to get fired for giving an opinion. So I think let your voice be heard. The moment you start doing that and get used to doing that, you start growing and people start listening and having conversing and you get, you know, swapping opinions and that's great. And then you're, you suddenly you're above everyone else because you're showing that you care, you know, and you're having an opinion. So you must let your voice be heard. Um, easy one, be punctual. Um, and by that, I mean, be early. Um, so many people are, um, are either on time or late and drives me nuts. Um, learn the industry off your own back. We're so lucky now we have the internet, a free resource. Um, there's so much information on the internet. If I don't understand something, I just look it up. Um, there are so many webinars, there's things like this, you know, people doing great podcasts and, and putting stuff out there that you can just listen to and absorb. Um, there's no excuse not to learn your industry. Um, take every opportunity or every measured opportunity that comes your way. Um, sometimes it may not feel relevant or it might feel like um, it's not for you. Um, I've taken loads of opportunities that are not relevant not, do not appear relevant to me, but have ended up being relevant or setting me on a path to something new that's been great. So um, take every measured opportunity. Um, and um, and finally, ignore the negativity, like just push it away from your life. There is no point to it. I, I don't waste my breath or my ears or anything on negativity, whether that's a negative individual, a negative thought I have, um, whatever. I just don't, don't deal with it. I just dismiss it and I, I'll acknowledge it and just chuck it away. I've literally got no time for it. And, and if I come across negative people in, in the workplace, I just don't deal with them. I, I won't listen to them. Um, and I think people will always try and squash dreams. People get jealous, envious. Um, they feel insecure. There's lots of different reasons. Um, maybe, you know, it's an opportunity to, to, to show empathy and, and see what's up with that person and try and turn it around. Um, but if they're, if they're adamant on being negative um, or, you know, I have a negative thought about something, I just try and snap out of it and, 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 and bash it away. Um, so, yeah, I, I, think, um, I think those would be my main tips, although there's probably lots of rather much more intelligent stuff, but th- those things seem to work for me. Tim, they're excellent and uh, I'm sure there'll be useful takeaways for a lot of the people listening. Um, I'm probably going to wrap it up with with one more question, if I could. Um, if you could go back in time uh, and speak to your younger self right now um, at the start of your career, what would you say to them or what advice would you give yourself? Um, I'd probably say have more faith in your own ability um, because I, I, while I worked really hard and I, I tried very hard and showed lots of enthusiasm early on, like I said, I didn't put my head above the parapet. I didn't, I didn't, I could have progressed quicker. Um, and, uh, I, yeah, I, th- I, I think I'd have said that, but also just enjoy it. You know, don't worry about everything. I think when you're, I certainly did when I was in my early twenties, just starting out in my career, I worried about everything, you know, I worried about what people thought. I worried about what I said, worried about what I wore, what my hair looked like, you know, like everything. And I'd just say, let's just chill out, just enjoy it, you know, because you're, you can, there's no point worrying about stuff that's outside of your control. Um, so I'd probably say, just chill out, enjoy the ride. You'll be all right. You know, you're never going to be destitute. Um, just put your head down, you know, or put your head up rather and, and, you know, speak out and, uh, 
and just go for it. Don't worry. It'll be all right. <laughs> they are very, very wise words to end on. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, before you go, why don't we share some of your links and whatever to the various places you're available on social media for Motormouth and whatever. So, so where can where can people find Brilliant. you in the, um, the podcast? Well, the, the podcast, um, you can just search the Motormouth podcast on Google and it should pop up. It's on pretty much everything. Um, Apple, Android, TuneIn, YouTube, whatever. You, you, you can find it. Just search for it on Google. Um, our social... Um, accounts that's a good one uh, i think i think our twitter is uh, motormouth underscore i think and then uh our instagram i think it's motormouth official i'm sure you'll get to it if you if you search that same on uh facebook um and linkedin um and then motormouth.club is our website and um the karting i have to look up the karting one because we've, we've just we've only just released this um so the karting uh event is the address is motormouthkartrace.com so if you, if you like karting and you want to meet some some famous faces and race against them register your interest at, at motormouthkartrace.com um like i say have a look at motormouth.club you can find the app if you just search motormouth um on your phone and uh, your app store so um it's all there um and uh, yeah just dig it out have a nose around and um see what you think and of course i'll, I'll pop all of the information the show notes uh, for anyone that hasn't caught that and written it down yet um yeah tim thank you so much for coming on it, it's been an absolute blast chatting to you You've Sorry, a tim, very very one more thing before, no, before you wrap up. um there, there's with right formula as well if there's people listening who are um interested in sports marketing um I believe Right Formula are starting to look at um, internships and, and opportunities for younger people. Um, so if there are people out there who want to get into that world or have an interest in it or have done a bit of it, then get in touch um, either with me or through you or uh, with Right Formula Direct um, because there, there'll certainly be opportunities there, I think, opening up as well. Sorry. Uh, thank you. No, that's very important. No, And, and again, I'll, I'll put the links to Right Formula as well in the, in the show notes. So, you know, if people want to check it out, they can. Uh, yeah, Tim, honestly, it's been an absolute blast chatting to you. Um, you're a very, very knowledgeable and wise man um, from the world of motorsport and sponsorship, everything. And um, and like I said, a great podcast host as well. So please go and check him out. Um, and um, yeah, I'll definitely be catching you again on, on the airwaves um, down the line. But yeah, thanks very much for coming on. Yes, Tim. Thank you. I'd just like to say a huge thanks to our guest this week, Tim Sylvie, the host of the Most Mouth podcast. If you haven't already checked it out, please do. It is absolutely fantastic. Definitely on my subscriber list. If you haven't already, why not consider subscribing or even check out some of the other interesting episodes we've already done? If you fancy leaving a review on your chosen platform, that massively helps us out too. You can find us on all our socials. It's at JobHunterPod. Or if you want to get in touch, you can do that. It's JobHunterPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. I've been Tim French and tune in next time for another insightful edition of the Job Hunter Podcast. Podcast.